her team, led by Professor Sue Yendel at the University of Sheffield, is exploring how care arrangements currently in crisis in parts of the UK can be made sustainable and deliver wellbeing outcomes. We aim to support policy and practice actors and scholars to conceptualise sustainability in care as an issue of rights, values, ethics and justice, as well as of resource distribution. Our Care Matters series includes publications, podcasts and blogs from our team and others working towards sustainable care. Hello and welcome to this episode of our Care Matters podcast. My name is Kelly Davidge and I'm the Programme Manager of the Sustainable Care Research Programme based at the University of Sheffield. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Anderson. Rob is the former head of the Social Policies Unit at Eurofound, where he worked as a research manager from 1988 to 2018 on a range of topics, including monitoring quality of life and living conditions in the EU, projects on ageing and change in employment over the life course, measures to promote the social inclusion of people with chronic illness and the creation of employment in care services. Prior to joining Eurofound, Rob was Programme Manager at the WHO European office in Copenhagen, with responsibility for the European Regional Programme in Health Promotion. Rob's research interests include analyses of the European Quality of Life Survey to report on intergenerational differences in quality of life and on the social and economic situation of people with disabilities, a long-term programme of work on the ageing workforce and research around family care. He was president of Eurocarers from 2009 until 2013, which gave opportunities to promote links between research and policy at both member state and EU levels. Rob is currently chair of the Research and Policy Committee at Family Carers Ireland. And finally, he's the chair of our Sustainable Care Programme Advisory Board. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thank you very much. So this podcast is going to cover generally long-term care services in the EU. So let's start with a question from an EU perspective. What do we understand by long-term care services? Yeah, thank you very much, because I think we need to be clear that long-term care services are understood, certainly in the European Commission, as a range of services or assistance for people with physical or mental health needs or disabilities that they experience over a period of time. And it involves both, shall we say, nursing type care support, as well as domestic type care support. So I think the way it's often phrased is that it involves both help with personal activities of daily living, such as washing and getting dressed and, and moving around the house, and what are called the instrumental activities of daily living. So preparing meals, managing money, doing housework, and so on. And I think that's very important to appreciate because often the domestic side is omitted, but in practice, it's often difficult to distinguish some of the nursing and domestic type care tasks. And in trying to talk about the services and the workforce, we clearly need to include both. The second thing to note, of course, is that although I'd like to focus mainly in this discussion on home care services, 
the services are provided both in institutional settings such as nursing homes and residential care as well as in the home of the person with health or, or other needs uh, and indeed uh, long-term care may also include those services in day centers or community facilities that are provided to people with long-standing illnesses or disabilities having said all that it's very difficult indeed to define very exactly in systems of occupational classification or employment who are included as workers in these uh, home care or long-term care services and although we get figures from oecd and the european commission and eurofound and elsewhere about the numbers involved you might argue that they are an underestimate because we are usually only ever able to work with numbers of employed people in these services. We're not including very often people who are paid by households directly to provide support. And of course, we're not including all the unpaid family or informal counts. Thanks, Rob. And I just had a question as well about kind of the numbers of the paid DU workforce and how in the UK and I think beyond, we've seen an increased awareness of who, who the paid care workforce are with the whole clapping for carers thing. So yes. do you think that is going to influence the kind of number of people who are employed or who look to work in this kind of sphere going forward? Well, it's interesting who the carers are that we've been clapping for. Um, I think it's probably safe to say that it's mainly formal paid employed workers in hospitals and, of course, in care homes. I think it's possible that some of those frontline everyday carers have not been estimated in quite the same way as the, the nursing and the medical care workforces. And I'm pretty sure that we weren't clapping on the whole, on the whole, for the family carers. And it may well be that that point is being made not just by those among the, the family carer community of interest, but more generally at policy level, that we need to be more aware and acknowledge and recognize the contribution of the unpaid care workforces. So that in, in, in some ways is good news. On the other hand, I think while we've been clapping for carers, a lot of people have been saying, maybe more needs to be done to show our acknowledgement and appreciation. Uh, and at the same time, as we're increasingly aware of the contribution of the paid and unpaid care workforce, I think it's fair to say that we're also increasingly aware that the working conditions of many of the paid workforce are not very good and there are calls to improve their pay and conditions uh, alongside recognizing the contribution. So yes, increasing awareness. I don't think yet we're doing enough to increase, shall we say, the attractiveness of care work. 
uh, and recruitment into the paid care workforce. So you mentioned policy there. So where are these long-term care services featured in recent EU policies or programmes? There's a long-standing interest at EU level in what you might call demography, but certainly the ageing of the European population. And certainly since the turn of this millennium, the demography reports which were coming from the EU are increasingly ageing reports. And they're produced in part by the Directorate General responsible for finance issues at European level, looking at ageing as, shall we say on the whole, a cost a cost in terms of healthcare, but also long-term care. And that has certainly put it high on that particular agenda. We also have a significant interest in ageing uh, on the social policy agenda, where the issues again are about care, but social protection more generally, and social inclusion. The forthcoming Green Paper on an ageing society. That's certainly one uh, focal point for uh, EU interest. As an example, the 2018 ageing report highlighted the lack of availability of long-term care in many member states. They looked at needs in terms of numbers with long-standing health problems and disabilities and receipt or use of long-term care services and saw a big gap. And the big gap was particularly, or is particularly evident in, shall we say, the countries of Central and Eastern Europe and those in, in Southern Europe. And there are massive differences between the, the uh, EU member states in the availability of services in terms of their actual funding of care services and the care workforce. Eurofound did some work to look at the proportions of people in the different member states who report using long-term care services, taking residential and home care services together. And the figures range from uh, below 5% in some member states like Slovakia and Bulgaria and Romania to over 25% uh, during the course of a year in other member states such as France, the Netherlands and Belgium. So there are very large differences in both supply and take up of formal care services across countries. And that's a fundamental point to be addressed at EU level where so many Reports have a message that we need to increase access to long-term care services. But the starting point is very low in large numbers of these member states. I should mention, I think, two particular areas of policy development at European level. One around gender equality and also around the EU disability strategy, uh, because both have put considerable emphasis on not only the large numbers of women in the workforce, but also the large numbers of dependent uh, persons who are women. And both 
have argued over time for more attention to home care and home-based care services. Secondly, in November 2017, we had this agreement between member states on something called the European Pillar of Social Rights. Many will have heard of this initiative, but it's basically the, the policy backbone or framework for a large number, around 20 themes, for action over the next years at EU level. And one of these themes has been about the right to access quality long-term care services, also quality childcare services, quality healthcare services, but quality long-term care services, in particular, home care and community-based services. That's a very important development. Secondly, the pillar of social rights call for better work-life balance. And in 2019, the member states agreed a directive on work-life balance, which for the first time didn't consider only parents and children in relation to work-life balance, but carers, working and caring for dependent persons, part of which calls for the provision of accessible and affordable long-term care services. So these two developments in the framework of the pillar of social rights are indicators of the direction in which the EU policies and programs aspire to go. Of course, we'll have to see now over the next number of years how this policy framework is implemented in member states. So do you think that the European pillar of social rights then is one of the most important policy levers that the EU is going to use to improve care services across Europe? Yes, I think it provides a framework in itself for the development of care services. And I think it can be connected to other kinds of funding frameworks at regional or, or, or national level to support the development of formal care services and investment in care services. While member states have agreed to the elements of the pillar, uh, of course, it's now transposing them into national law. Yes, and I think that's happening. But then going into uh, action and funding, which is down to basically uh, the member states to, in, to do. So we've spoken about policies and programmes, and let's move now to think about research. So what has been the contribution of research to this area, specifically from Eurofound? One of the things that uh, I tried to say at the beginning was how important it was to define what we were talking about in terms of long-term care services and home care services. And as I mentioned regarding the pillar of social rights, the reference there is for all services to provision of quality services and ensuring access for all to these quality services. And one of the contributions, I think, from research and, 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 and Eurofound perhaps uh, specifically, has been an effort to make operational these 
concepts of access and quality. We often discuss access, you know, in terms of, shall we say, uh, the budget uh, applied to long-term care services in different member states, or as I said previously, the data on use of these long-term care services in member states. But access is, is more than only having people on the ground to provide the service. Of course, it is fundamentally that, but to use services, clearly people need to be aware of the availability of these services. They need to have good information on which to base judgments about using these services. And they need to be able to access through bureaucratic and other administrative protocols, those services. So it's not only a question of investment in staffing and service availability from that perspective, but also ensuring that people can use them and use them in ways which meet their needs at the time when they have those needs and in the place where they have those needs. The conceptual work at Eurofound has also tried to make this link between access and quality. Quality is an even harder word to disentangle what it means. Uh, we certainly understand it to involve something to do with how services are delivered, uh, the process through which they're delivered, and the outcomes that they have. But quality can also or, and must be seen from the perspective of the users of those services, and indeed also the perspective of the user's families. And the perception that services are not good quality is, I think, actually a very important barrier to take up long-term care services across the member states. So quality Eurofound perspective is that we have tried to incorporate questions in our surveys about the user's perspective on quality, looking both at the general satisfaction with long-term care services, and then specifically looking with people who have experience of using those services about the perceived quality of the facilities, the interaction, the communication, uh, and the timeliness of those services. Recognizing that in long-term care, particularly as a service, the interpersonal aspects, the communication, the respect, the treatment, the time made available are key to quality of care. And one of the recent publications from Eurofound as well talks about the importance of respite for informal carers. Yes. We're including that in the whole kind of long-term care services sphere. Absolutely. Uh, recognising that for many carers, respite care is important. The research is a bit equivocal about the extent to which services of good quality are available in respite. 
as well as the um, take-up of those services. And it's clearly, I think, one of the areas where we could be asking for a great deal more attention in research, getting a better understanding about needs for respite and how those needs are being met by the currently available services. But as you will have seen in the report, it's a minority of carers or a minority of people with, with disabilities who get access or have access to quality respite care services. That was more generally a, an effort, shall we say, by Eurofound to illustrate access to and quality of services in relation to, to long-term care, recognising that the availability of these services is, is critical not only for meeting the needs of dependent persons, but also for the quality of life of the carers. And one of the conclusions you will have seen was that in better meeting needs, it was important to have more involvement and engagement of care recipients and their carers in developing uh, the services. So what about the future? What do you think are the key issues for further research and service development? Eurofound has, over the last 15 years, sought to provide data on care services, but also on workers in those services, from its big surveys on quality of life in Europe and working conditions in Europe. And basically, we still have to acknowledge that good information on use of these services and good information on the working conditions of workers in these services has to be developed further. And in particular, at member state level, we simply need more basic research with large enough numbers of workers and users and carers to say something representative for working conditions and satisfaction with services at member state level. And that is fundamentally important, even if we have some broad data available and can see some of the broad differences between member states from the surveys at EU level. Secondly, Eurofound has spent quite a lot of time looking at these issues around access and uh, quality of services, but there's a lot more to be done. And thirdly, later this month, Eurofound will produce a new report on the long-term workforce in Europe on employment and their working conditions, um, using data in part from our surveys, but also from our network of correspondence across uh, the member states, and pointing to issues around the quality of working conditions and also, of course, fundamentally, around pay for workers in uh, long-term care services. Pointing to some opportunities to recruit and train, but also to retain workers uh, in these services. And because it's the European Foundation, looking at the role of the social partners, employers, organisations and trade unions in addressing the issues of quality for the, for the workforce. So issues around 
research are developing and clearly there are there are more and more there's more and more attention for example in the sustainable care research program one of the aspects of that sustainable care research program that i think is very important is recognizing the care workforce or the care system as involving both paid and unpaid carers or carers of all sorts and asking questions about the relationship between formal and informal care ensuring that as many of the carers organizations say no carer should be there alone uh, but thinking about these relationships how they change over time and ensuring that formal care services are supporting informal carers when they need help to prevent problems and to get to the grips with this sustainability of care. So that's all to say, I think, in fact, more research needs to be done on the, the care system and, and looking at the different parts uh, together. Part of that, as I say, though, is looking at basic information also on who is doing what and what their working conditions are. If I may just emphasize one aspect which I know is of interest to many and is attracting more research, it's to do with the, the issues of inequalities. Yes, in access to services, we know something about the people who see which groups in society appear to be have needs that are less well met. Uh, we know something about inequalities between groups in member states, but we need to do much more, I think, to look at this issue of intersectionality. So we're thinking about not only gender inequalities, but also how they relate to age and, and health and so on. Uh, we need to do more to, I think, address the socioeconomic differences in access to quality services and to define them more clearly, particularly in the light of many users having to pay in part or, or fully for services. And we need to think about the differences between provision, but also between the working conditions of providers in public, private, non-governmental organizations. So those are all, I think, on the research agenda. Thanks, Rob. And finally, it wouldn't be a podcast talking about things in Europe without touching on Brexit. So um, first of all, I'm going to say we recorded this podcast on the 10th of December. So that's the, the time that, that we're, we're talking about the issues. So I guess my question, my last question has two broad areas. The first is the obvious question, what, what is Britain kind of losing from Brexit with all of this kind of momentum that the EU appears to be to be having with respect to long-term care services and the sector. But secondly, is there anything that Europe is going to miss in this kind of sphere when Britain exits? Well, thank you. It's, um, what is it, the Thursday before the Sunday, which is supposed to be the very last day uh, when we can learn whether there is an agreement or not. And so much has been said about what might or might, might not be, just for example, in relation to research. Uh, it's absolutely clear that 
being part of European research is important to researchers in the UK. But it's important to those in Europe as well, because frankly, a lot of the research initiatives in Europe have engaged very much UK uh, academics and indeed the leadership of many um, European programs and projects has been taken by the UK. So some way I think will have to be found to ensure that that engagement continues. I think there are also issues around the workforce where one worries what this dispute about the lowering of standards might mean as uh, Europe in principle says it's pressing ahead to improve working conditions and environmental standards and so on. Uh, what might that mean for uh, British workers? There's a, a whole raft of issues coming up in part in the sustainable care program, identifying difficulties in, their, in the working conditions of staff. Indeed, across Europe, shortages, gaps in availability of workers, uh, problems with the attractiveness of jobs. And if nothing else, Europe is a good place for exchange of information and learning from the experiences in different member states. So there could have been some more, there could be still some mutual learning there. And in more basic terms, uh, concerns about shortages in the UK will also be about the shortage of workers who have been coming from EU member states and indeed from non-EU member states and what the rules about the basic salaries required to uh, enable immigration to the UK will be and how that will work out uh, in practice, uh, I think is major question given what we're learning about the role of uh, workers from other countries in providing uh, UK services. And finally, the promise, shall we say, of developments in EU policy on long-term care may not now be taking the UK along. And so some of this focus on the expansion of quality long-term care services may not be picked up uh, in the UK, although I accept the UK currently has long-term care services which are in the relatively well-developed part of, of Europe. Nevertheless, there are signals that this will become a higher priority at EU level and connections between investment in long-term care and other infrastructural investments uh, may be reinforced, as well as the uh, growing emphasis on the role and contribution of the care workforce in the broadest sense, since I think EU policy is taking relatively seriously now the role of the informal care, families, friends, and so on in provision. And those are very important steps to be reinforced, I think, also at member state level. So research, workforce and policy could be three areas where both the EU will miss the UK, but also where the UK will miss the EU. And 
on that note, I'm going to say thank you very much to Rob for joining us for this podcast on long-term care services in the EU. Thanks, Rob. Thank you very much.